Blog Talk Radio. World War III is about to start. Yahweh is raising up the Germans for the last time to destroy America. She has sinned against God. I was called as a messenger sent by the Spirit of the Holy One to deliver this message to the modern day Babylon America. Let Yahweh's children know America. Hi, good morning. Welcome to the End Time Prophecy Watch radio broadcast. This is your host, Gerald Washington, the shofar sound. Very excited today, this day, which is September 26th, Wednesday morning. God bless all those who are listening to this broadcast. um, Today, pretty much, we'll be dealing with Antichrist. A lot of people have questions out there. Who's going to be the Antichrist, especially what's going on? the turmoil that's going on and the chaos that's going on in the world today, financial institutions going bellied up, um, wars and rumors of wars, threats of potentially nuclear war activity that's going on, especially with Iran, um, European nations going bankrupt and needing to be bailed out, and several even different things um, in our own country here in America, we have to bail out a lot of different banks and financial institutions and just a whole lot of things that are going on in the world. Um, morality seems like it's going into the toilet. So it is almost setting the stage for the man of sin making his grand appearance and leading the whole earth into chaos and damnation posing as uh as God and posing as a person of peace but whose coming is after that of Satan. Now our main thing that we will be teaching on today is types and shadows of Antichrist, but also we want to talk about the various theories of past and present, what people out there had certain theories, who might be the Antichrist. Um, Several years ago, when Saddam Hussein was in power of Iraq, some people believe or had theories that Saddam Hussein was actually the Antichrist. And then some people had theories out there, King Juan Carlos of Spain was the Antichrist in the 70s. People believe that Henry Kissinger might have been the Antichrist. Um, some even theories out there, last couple of years, people thought that Prince Charles was actually the Antichrist. And then some people believe um, Mikhail Gorbachev over in Russia, um, former Soviet Union, the president of Soviet Union, that he was actually the Antichrist. And then some people believe that Tony Blair, the former prime minister of Great Britain, might be the Antichrist. And then even today, currently, some people believe that President Barack Obama may be the Antichrist. And I believe that none of those individuals are the actual Antichrist. I believe the actual Antichrist is probably just waiting in the wings to emerge on the scene when... The fulfillment of scriptures scriptures comes to its culmination, then a man of sin is going to actually be revealed. 
Let's go to actually Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 4 through 9, and it says, Who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, these things, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doeth already work. Only he now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed, and whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So this Paul, when he's writing in Second Thessalonians, he's giving you the description of the Antichrist. He calls him the son of perdition. We only see this word son of perdition singular only used one other time in the Bible when the word of God coins that particular phrase to Judas of Iscariot. So this Antichrist, when we look at verse 9 of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, it states that the working of this man will, will be with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Even if we go back to almost a little bit over a half a century with that madman from Germany, Adolf Hitler, kind of fits almost a description and a type of Antichrist. Um, Adolf Hitler was very much involved in the black arts, the occult, even studying some of the German occult prophecies have prophesied that a German messiah would arise up. And we see that even Hitler perverted some of the things, some of the Bible prophecies that he was going to go ahead and set a thousand-year rule where his master race, the Aryans, would take over and and all these different things. It's the perversion of the word of God. It says when Jesus comes back and he establishes his actual kingdom, it will be for actually a thousand years. So we saw how Hitler mass murdered a lot of Jews. This Antichrist, when he comes... The Antichrist, he's going to exterminate a lot of Jews. He's going to exterminate anybody that doesn't take the mark, his mark, which is the mark of the beast. We can see that over in Revelations chapter 13. And he'll be working. All these signs will be through the work and the empowerment of Satan and demonic spirits. So we kind of want to look at some of these Old Testament types and shadows. We'll kind of give you an idea when this person, Antichrist, comes onto the scene. He will personify and be the culmination of all these different people that we're going to study 
in the Old Testament that are types and shadows of these men are types and shadows of those who oppose God, totally rebellious against God's will, God's program, God's government, and also let's look at the actual word antichrist. The word antichrist in the Greek means an opponent of Messiah. In the American Heritage Dictionary, the word antichrist is defined as an enemy of Christ. In other words, antichrist is against the anointed one. He's against Jesus Christ and his people who are in covenant relationship with Christ. When we flip over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Little children, it is the, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time, there is, which is the last time. So the Apostle John is letting us know that Antichrist, you've heard that Antichrist is going to come, but he says even so now there are many Antichrists, there's many, the spirit the actual spirit of Antichrist is working through all kind of different mediums, um, political, um, um, entertainment, education system, all these different systems because it's part of the world system. It's anti-God. It's anti-Christ. So when we look, we can look at seven manifestations of the actual spirit of Antichrist is as follows. One is the spirit of bondage. Two is the spirit of whoredoms. Let me go back. One is the spirit of bondage, which is found in Romans 8 and 15. can use these scriptures as reference. Two is the spirit of whoredoms, Hosea chapter 4, verse 12. And in Hosea chapter 5, verse 4, then we can look at 3, the spirit of divination, Acts 16 and 16, 4, the spirit of fear, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, 5, the spirit of jealousy, Numbers chapter 5, verse 14, 6, the spirit of slumber, Romans 11 and 8. And seven, the spirit of error, First John 4 and 6. Now we see in the Old Testament, we can see several people in the scriptures that were types and shadows of Antichrist. Let's go ahead and explore some of these people. First person I would like to kind of explore in these teachings is Nimrod. Now Nimrod was known as the first world ruler in human history. He was actually the son of of Cush, which he was actually, and he was the grandson of Ham, Noah's son Ham. He founded several famous cities in both southern and northern Mesopotamia. Um, some of the cities that he found was Babel, which is modern, uh, is Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. Um, he's found Nineveh, which we can see in the Bible. Um, Jonah going to Nineveh and preaching to the Ninevites to repent of all their evil ways. And then we see after years go by, they forget 
the word that Jonah delivered to them, and they go back to their evil way, sinning, witchcraft, murder, all kind of crazy stuff they're doing. And then we see the minor prophet Nahum goes and delivers the message of judgment, and eventually they're judged and they're destroyed. But interesting enough, Nimrod had a wife, Samarimus, his wife, or Saramis. She was actually the originator of the occult and idol worship and secret rites, which are known as the Babylonian mysteries or the Babylonian um, secret mystery religions. If we look over at Revelation 17 and 5, it says, and up on her forehead was the was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth. So in so much in a nutshell, this woman was responsible for all the false religious systems that are now established that still plagues humanity to this very day. Um, we can even look back talking about the great mother harlot. Back in the 40s, um, Jack Parsons, one of the disciples of Aleister Crowley, and L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, which was one of Jack Parsons' sidekicks and uh, also a disciple of Aleister Crowley, started doing this thing called Babylon Workings, where they were doing sex magic and all to try to bring forth the harlot spirit or the Babylonian harlot through another dimension wall to manifest itself to eventually try to possess a human vessel to give birth to the actual Antichrist. I just wanted to put that out there. But also when we look at Nimrod, going back to Nimrod, not only did Nimrod become a world ruler, but he established his own religious system. But he stared the people in Genesis. When we look at Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, it, he formed a rebellion against God. No sooner that these people, Noah, his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, and Noah's wife was delivered from the judgment of the rain coming in, the flood coming in, you know, a couple of hundred years later, knowing the goodness of God and all, no sooner than that, rebellion came about through Nimrod, and he tried to establish a one-world government and a one-world religion outside the will and the purpose of God. Now, Nimrod, his name, his very name means rebellion or let us revolt. When we look at Genesis chapter 10, verse 9, it says, He was a great hunter, which means he was a great hunter of the destruction of the souls of men. Now, Nimrod, he actually personified the actual spirit of Antichrist by his rebellion to God and establishing his own government and religious system that makes him a center of worship by men. The next individual we kind of like look want to look at in the Old Testament is David's son Absalom. He represented Absalom. He actually represented 
a picture of a false messiah. His name means father of peace. But we know when we get in more into this and even the story of Absalom, he was far from being a peaceful man. He was a conniver. He always tried to conspire, and he was a murderer. He had the very nature of Satan because Jesus said over in John from the very beginning that Satan was a murderer. So Absalom was, he lied, he deceived, and he was a murderer. So he personified the spirit of Satan. His coming was after Satan. He wasn't like his father David, a man after God's own heart. But we look at him again. Absalom, he begins to usurp his father's authority as king by rallying support of the people of Israel, telling them what they wanted to hear. This act of deception, Jesus tells us in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 5, it says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and deceive many. Absalom wanted to become king by his own name, unlike his father, David, who came to be king by the word of the Lord that the prophet Samuel had given him, that David was not worried about being ambitious, trying to be king. He was just a little shepherd boy who God looked upon and gave him favor to be king over all of Israel. We can also look at the words of Jesus when he said in John 5 and 43, he says, I come in my father's name and you receive me not. And if another come in his own name, he ye will receive. Jesus is referring that you won't, people won't receive me, but you'll receive another. But we can also look at the attributes of Absalom, how it really personifies Satan or Lucifer. He was full of beauty, Second Samuel chapter 14, verse 25 and 26 states that. He was vain, just like Lucifer, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 17. And he just was a very, very bad person who really personified the spirit of Satan, was the driving force behind Absalom's rebellion. And also him leading the hearts of the men of Israel to himself is a mirror image how Satan, when he led the rebellion in heaven against God, which is a joke, he led at least a third of the angels followed him. When we look over at Second Samuel chapter chapter 15, verse 14, it says, and David and his officials had to flee Jerusalem to avoid a possible bloodbath, and they fled to the wilderness just as some of these the Jews in the near future were, are going to have to flee into the mountains during the tribulation period when Satan and his Antichrist is coming with great wrath against them. You can look at that Revelations chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. Finally, when we look at 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 18, Absalom is brought to utter defeat and he's killed by David's relative or David's, I believe it's David's nephew, Joab. He's killed by his son in battle 
while he was in battle, he was riding on a mule, and his hair gets caught in the branches. Second Samuel chapter 18, verse 9. And David's army, again, led by Joab. Joab kills him. Second Samuel chapter 18, verses 14 through 15. Then in Second Samuel 18, Verse 17, it says this, And they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him. And all of Israel fled everyone to his tent. This is the symbolism of the scripture in numerous passages of the scripture. The word talks about the branch, how his hair is caught into the branch. When we look over, that term branch is Christ. Jeremiah 23 and 5, Isaiah 4 and 2, Jeremiah 33 and 15, Zechariah 3 and 8. Christ is the branch. Absalom being the false Christ who deceived many was defeated. We can see in Genesis 3 and 15 it says, The seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. So Absalom representing the serpent his head was bruised by the branches, the righteous branch, Jesus Christ. Then also, when we're looking at types and shadows, Absalom was thrown into a great pit after he was killed. Just like Antichrist and his false prophet, once Jesus returns and destroys them, they're immediately shipped or put into the lake of fire, a great pit. They're put into a pit. They're put into the actual lake of fire. So this is this is types and shadows. Amen. This also shows the victory that took place shows that Jesus Christ is victorious. So David had victory over his enemies. Now we can look at the next type and shadow of uh, Old Testament type of antichrist is actually Haman in the book of Esther talks about Haman now when we see the thing about Haman is he's a type of shadow of antichrist and he's actually a he's actually descendant of He's actually a descendant of the Amalekites. When we look over at 1 Samuel, it talks about when all the way back during Joshua's time and Moses' time, they had given a decree that the Amalekites should be utterly destroyed for when Israel was coming out and it was a young nation coming out of Egypt, that the Amalekites attacked the women, they attacked the young, they attacked them as being a young nation, and actually they were cousins because the Amalekites were offspring of Esau. Esau and Jacob were brothers, Jacob being Israel, and then Esau being the father of actually the Amalekites. And also when Saul didn't kill um, Agai, the king of the Amalekites, God, he didn't kill them. Um, he didn't utterly destroy enough of them. It rose back up to haunt them in the distant future when they were over in Persia. But we see 
that in 1 Samuel 15 with Saul. Now the Amalekites, they were arch enemies of Israel, and they always were going back and forth in conflict. So we can see how this is the same conflict that rages between Satan against God and his people, and it just continues to go on. Now when we look over at Esther chapter 3, verse 2 and 5, it says, And Haman became angry with Mordecai because he didn't bow down to show Haman reverence. And it was customarily for the Persians to bow down to their kings or their people higher up in government and as being a divine being or a god. Well, Exodus Chapter 20, when it's given the Ten Commandments, the Word of God tells them, the commandments, Ten Commandments tells them, you should have no other God and you shouldn't you shouldn't even worship idols. So he became enraged like that, just like Antichrist is going to become enraged when people don't give him reverence, people don't bow down, people don't take his mark, people don't become part of his satanic kingdom and satanic allegiance. Now, Mordecai, he was actually a very faithful Jew, so he said, you know, I can't give this man honor in that way. I'm not going to violate my the scriptures, the law, the Torah. So Haman, like his ancestors, the Malachites, he didn't reverence Yahweh. He didn't reverence God. Deuteronomy 25 and 18, you can find that. Just like Antichrist won't reverence God in the tribulation period, and try to exalt himself as king. We can find that in Daniel chapter 11, verse 36. After Mordecai didn't bow down to him, Haman sought to destroy not just Mordecai, but all the Jews throughout the kingdom of Persia. You can find that in Esther 3 and 6. Similar to when the Jews will have a new temple built in the tribulation period, Antichrist goes in and announces himself as God, and they won't worship him. And then Antichrist turns on them to seek to destroy all the Jews of the world for this action. Now we look over at Esther 3 and 7. Haman uses astrologers and musicians to cast lots and to determine which day of the year would the destruction be brought unto the Jews. So we see that occult element of this type of antichrist. So antichrist would be very much into the black arts and the occult. He was actually, Haman was using these, using the occult to empower his agenda. And just like antichrist and the false prophet, they'll be empowered by demonic occultic practice for his agenda. Now, Haman's plot, he brought, it was brought to naught because God always has uh, a ram in the bush, and he placed Esther in place to be an intercessor and intercede in behalf of the people. Now, the gallows that Haman made for Mordecai, he was hung on, and he was hung on them. Not only was he hung, Haman was hanged on the gallows with his ten sons, were also hanged. You can see that in Esther chapter 9, 
verses 12 through 14. This is almost sim similar in comparisons to Antichrist and the ten kings who ally who, who will ally themselves with the Antichrist over in the book of Revelations. You'll have ten kings that will ally themselves with this son of perdition and all. And it will be also led to destruction, these ten kings that will form a covenant with the Antichrist, just like Haman and his ten sons were brought to naught. Now, if we go over to the book of Exodus, and we can look at a prime example of Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh, he really persecuted the Israelites and made them slaves and all. Uh, Pharaoh personified one of the types and shadows of Antichrist. Actually, one of the nation's symbols at that particular time for Egypt was the serpent. The serpent is actually a, a satanic symbol for Satan. And also a lot of different cultures and a lot of mystery religions, the serpent represents wisdom. But we see how Pharaoh is coming against the children of Israel, and God raises up Moses. Now, we we see different examples of Pharaoh. He tried to use bondage and fear to keep Israel captive in Egypt. Pharaoh was looked upon also by his people as God on earth and the absolute rule of, or a ruler of the world. Now, when we look at Moses and Aaron, they can also be seen as the two witnesses in the book of Revelations. We see in chapter, Revelations chapter 11, who come up against Pharaoh, the Antichrist, prophesying, and, you know, Pharaoh's prophesying, and, work, and they're prophesying and working signs and wonders. However, Pharaoh and his false prophets, also they're working lying signs and wonders um, see Exodus chapter 7, verse 11 through 12, um, even over in Timothy, it talks about these two individuals, um, Janus and Jamborees. They threw down their staff to turn it actually into a snake, but Moses' snake was much more stronger and swallowed their snake. But it talks about Janus and Jamborees. And over in Timothy, how they opposed truth. We can actually find that in Second Timothy chapter three, verse eight. And Aaron, it also shows that the Moses and Aaron snake was much more stronger. And then we can also see how the different plagues and all that. Not to go into that, the different plagues and all that that was occurring in Egypt almost mirrors the judgments that will be going on, the vow judgments, trumpet judgments that go on in the book of Revelations. Then when we look over at Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Babylon means confusion. Actually, the origins of Babylon comes from Nimrod. So we see, we see centuries have gone by, and all of a sudden this king, a new king of Babylon that's not Nimrod, Nebuchadnezzar, arises, and he makes a golden image of himself. And that talks about that in Daniel chapter 3. And his motivations to building that image 
was motivated by Satan, and this is actually a foreshadowing of the book of Revelation, chapter 13, with the image of the beast and the mark of the beast. And when you look at Daniel chapter 3, the image was in height three score cubits. So it was 60 cubits, and the breadth was six cubits. So there were six instruments that were played when heard, when all the people heard, all the people that Nebuchadnezzar was over, all the all that he ruled had to bow down, fall down, and worship this golden image. Now we have six instruments were as follows the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and the delsimore. You take the 60 cubits in height of the image of gold, the six cubits in breadth, and the six instruments, you come out to 666. So this is this is um this is a type, definitely a type and shadow of the soon come of Antichrist, the Old Testament type and shadow. Anyone that didn't fall down and worship this gold image were put into the fiery furnace or to be killed. Just like people you're not gonna have like an option to take the mark of the beast, you know. If you don't take the mark of the beast, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna. First, you're gonna suffer. They're gonna make you suffer. They're gonna give you chance time and time again. You better take it. And they're gonna persecute you. They're gonna kill your family. They're gonna do all kind of things to force you to take this mark. So again, another type and shadow of that. But we see that the the Hebrew boys. The three Hebrew boys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as we call Meshach, um, Meshach, and Bendigo, and the other name doesn't come to mind. That's their Babylonian names anyway. That's not their real names. They were thrown into the fiery furnace, but they were delivered by the Lord. But when we also look, the enemy was trying to actually kill them. And we look at the very name, we go back to Nebuchadnezzar, when we look at the very name of Nebuchadnezzar, his name means Nebo, which means protect the crown of Nebo, or protect my son, or boundary. Satan is going to protect his stuff. And if anyone that doesn't submit to his plan, he will attempt to destroy them. See, salvation is now. God gives man still free will. You have a free will if you want to choose Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's not forcing you to receive him. He's giving you an actual choice. So don't be upset if you die and you go to hell and you're thrown in a lake of fire because you have a choice. Unlike Satan doesn't give you a choice, he forces you into subjection. He is a hard taskmaster. Now, still, we're dealing with this. If you look at Revelation 13 and Daniel chapter 3, it's similar in a lot of ways. Those who don't worship the image and don't take the mark of the beast, they're going to be killed by the orders of Antichrist. Now, when we look at 
probably the last individual that we'll be talking about is Goliath. We all know the story about David and Goliath, but but Goliath actually personifies a type of shadows of Old Testament type and shadow of Antichrist. Now Goliath, he was a giant, and when we look over at the strong concordance. The meaning of his name means exile, denude. Denude means to divest of covering. Divest means to strip, to deprive. The rights are property. Then we look over at the Young's Concordance, which defines Goliath's name as an exile or soothsayer. Again, his name also can mean soothsayer. So we see the occult element with Goliath that's empowering him, just like occult powers will be empowering the Antichrist. And what is a soothsayer? A soothsayer is an individual that can foretell events or predict the future. Soothsaying falls under the spirit of divination. We already discussed that the seven manifestations of the spirit of Antichrist, one of them is the spirit of divination. So the characteristics that Goliath possessed are spirits of bondage, spirit of fear, spirit of divination, and just based on the meaning of his actual name. Now we look at Goliath's height. He was six cubits, and his armor weighed 600 shekels, and his armor and weapons came up to six. Bronze, a bronze helmet, coat scale, a armor of bronze, bronze greaves on his legs, a bronze javelin, and a spear shaft, and a shield barrier. So this comes to 666 being the number of Antichrist or being showing the being a person of perdition or the number of man, personifying man, personifying being very humanistic, very secular and all. This is, when we look at this number, the number of, again, the name of Antichrist, the trinity of human perfection, the perfection of imperfection, the culmination of human pride and independence of God, and his opposition to his Christ. So even when Goliath was going out and challenging the children of Israel to battle, and the children of Israel saw being a king was a coward and scared because he wasn't in right relationship with God in the first place, when, when Goliath was coming out, and we can look at this in Jewish rabbinical writings. When he was cursing them and degrading them and all, he was coming out when they would do the Shema, the Lord our God is one, when they would quote that the very set time when they would recite that. He was coming out there. So he was just totally disrespecting Yahweh 
and the Shema, and also, too, he, he was in Jewish rabbinical writings. He was boasting the fact that he was like, hey, nobody can stop me. I'm a war machine because, again, in Jewish rabbinical writings, it states that Goliath had killed Eli's wicked, evil sons, Hophni and Phinehas, in battle and took the Ark of, Ark of the Covenant. That's when the Philistines wiped out pretty much all the army that went out with these wicked priests, high priest sons, and they took in as a trophy the Ark of the Covenant. But we all know the story that when they put the Ark of the Covenant into the temple of Dagon, Dagon fell, the idol Dagon fell, idol head broke off and all, and then they broke out with all kind of um, plagues and other, all kind of other stuff. He eventually end up returning the Ark of the Covenant. But we see how Goliath, he personifies Antichrist. But we also see the scriptures that Goliath, he stands in opposition against Israel, and he causes fear and bondage to enter into the heart of the men of more for Israel. He then goes out in the field. Again, he's speaking evil against them. But we also see Again, in the book of Genesis, one of the Messianic promises is that the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. Goliath was the seed of the serpent. So when David went out to battle against Goliath, Jesus being the rock of ages, he said, up on, he told Peter, he says, up on this rock I should build my church and the gates of hell the authority of hell should not prevail. So we see when David slings the rock, the rock representing Jesus Christ, hits Goliath in the head, and he bruises. It goes back to the Messianic prophecy that the seed of the woman, seed, should bruise the head of the serpent. The serpent should bruise the hill of the seed of the woman, but the woman's seed is going to bruise the actual seed of the serpent's head. So he bruises Goliath's head, kills Goliath, and chops off his head, and he sends them all scattering. So we see that David represents a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. He kills Goliath and showing that he has dominion and power over the enemy. So I hope you were like blessed by that. Actually I have one last thing to state and then we'll be done on this broadcast. I want to go over to I want to point out something in Daniel chapter chapter eleven and it gives us another person not named mentioned his description is mentioned but in history his name is revealed now quickly go through this it's Daniel chapter 11 verse 21 and it's the first fulfillment of Daniel it's fulfilled through Antigonus and Pipinus the fourth uh, a Suclid king of Syria he sees the kingdom from 
the rightful heir, and then what he eventually, what he ended up doing was in Jerusalem, he murdered a lot of Jews in the city. Um, he forced the Jews not to try to observe the Torah, not to observe certain, and then he set up a temple, and the temple of God, he set up the pagan god Zeus, and he sacrificed a pig. So that's another shadow of Antichrist. Just wanted to throw that out to you. Um, it's been a blessing. Hope you you guys receive something from this. Continue to listen to the End Time Prophecy Watch radio broadcast and all. Get an opportunity. Check out our blog, End Time Prophecy Watch blog at End Time shofar.blogspot.com great articles and all and we'll go ahead and we'll leave you with Rabbi Blue the messenger the mic